Okay, folks, good to see you. Hope that you're having a good morning as you're getting started. Some of us uh, had started earlier, but praise the Lord for this opportunity today. So we'll be looking in uh, Revelation chapter 2 again, or chapter 3, let me say, in the first part. And we're looking uh, here uh, with the subject matter of vigilant against complacency. Wow, when I read that word uh, the earlier part of the week, I said, whoa, uh, that, that is a, a, big, a big area of our lives that we all have to really guard and be overcomers in, complacency. Now, or I may not say that's all of y'all's problems. That's mine, one of mine, and that is to be able to stay uh, sharp in the Lord because things creep in easily and uh, rob, us, rob us of uh, staying faithful and keeping our attention on Him. Actually, on page 45, if you uh, are looking at that page, just the cover page, there's a question down on the bottom of that, and it said, what are some things that easily distract us? Things that easily distract us. Now, we prayerfully have some watching by YouTube this morning, and uh, this uh, goes to all of us. But uh, can, you, can you just uh, maybe write some things down or share some things there that easily distract us? Anybody? Politics. Lord, let's, we can't even open that can without it all getting out, can we? Anybody else? The news on television, absolutely. Yeah, anybody else? There is a lot of things, and that's just going to trigger your mind a little bit. And uh, sometimes we think that other people have it easier than we do. You know, you're probably sitting there today and thinking, oh, you preachers, y'all got it all together. Don't you ever believe that lie? Those things distract us as well. Uh, that's why I watch very little news. Uh, I may pick up the weekly paper and read some in there, uh, but I watch very little or listen to it uh, for the simple reason that it distracts me. And then it's not just a simple distraction. It'll compound over and over and over again many times. Okay, uh, you, you have your book now, page 46 and... On is where we'll be. If you have your Bibles, you're following Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the writer, though, he always gives us a couple of paragraphs there of introduction. Uh, and then he even implied there in his introduction uh, TV and uh, various other things that uh, we entrust maybe uh, to other people. Uh, and or how TV distracts us from doing our other things and then just given different uh, opportunities. Uh, and he went on to say, unfortunately, as adults, we can be just as easily distracted. We get distracted from what we should be doing. Then another distraction comes along that distracts us from the first distraction. So that's, that's really compounding itself over and over and over again. So let's not accuse our kids or our grandkids uh, of being the only ones that aren't paying attention. My wife has to say to me once in a while, are you, are you listening to me? And 
You know, uh, why? Because there's so many distractions. Uh, even uh, in your, your home, uh, you, so many distractions, and we need to guard that. And that's where he's going in Revelation 3, the letter to the church at Sardis. Actually, there are many churches named the Sardis Baptist Church or the Sardis Church. Uh, I've got a friend uh, who pastors the Sardis Baptist Church in Worthington Springs, Florida. Uh, then I had another friend who pastored it previous. And I asked him one day, I said, uh, who named the church Sardis? And I've had many people say to me before, who named the Second Baptist Church? And that's a good, that's a good uh, talk, talking point, but uh, sometimes our names don't mean a whole lot, does it? Let's read it. He said, write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Now, who's the angel of the church usually? Who's he talking to? He's really talking about the, the not the in charge, but the, the leadership there. And, and Sardis now is one of the oldest, wealthiest uh, cities here in Asia Minor. So let's read it. Who or write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one that has seven spirits of God, and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Now, uh, the, the writer again, he emphasizes there, and he gave you that little background about the city there of Sardis, uh, very, uh, undoubtedly, very uh, popular place. Uh, the potential that's there, and now, you know, the reality of our surroundings uh, bleeding into our worship life or our church life, if we're not careful, what happens is the church begins to take on the feelings of the surrounding community rather than being what we should be, and that's changing uh, the outer community as we know we should and could be. So, uh, at Sardis, there is a complacent spirit that ran through the church, which seemed to reflect the city itself. It was there on a 1,500-foot-high plateau, uh, and its base, it gives you all that information, says the citizens mistakenly saw their location as impregnable. Perhaps the misplaced confidence led them to be complacent, and it talks about it being overthrown by the Persians, by the Greeks, and even the Romans. So sometimes what we think definitely does not uh, render itself in reality, does it? The Lord starts that to the angel of the church at Sardis. And almost every one of these letters begin that way, uh, to the angel of the church at. So uh, we can see it easily. The writer went on to tell us about a temple that was there. It said it never, uh, or the words, the city never came back to its former glory. Uh, the massive temple of Artemis appears never to have been completed. Now, I've never toured in these areas. Some of you might have taken a trip and you might have visited uh, these cities there. I haven't. Have any of you maybe taken a trip there? 
Well, they, they offer them if you, wanna, if you want to do that, and they offer trips that would sort of follow the, uh, Paul's missionary journeys, etc., also. To the angel at the church of Sardis, thus says the one who has seven spirits of God. Now that always uh, sort of tries to stumble me up there. But the writer, to me, did a good job with that. And uh, you find that in the second column on page 47. Uh, to, the, to the one who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. He said John had previously identified the seven stars as the seven messengers or angels of the seven churches. And he gives you some proof text there. Uh, Revelation 2 and 3 and then a reference of chapter 1. He said in this prophecy about the Messiah, Isaiah mentioned the Holy Spirit seven ways. Now, uh, in chapter 11, we see him talking about the Spirit. Uh, he said the Spirit of the Lord. He's the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, a Spirit of counsel and strength, a Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I was, I was grateful for that explanation there. Why? Because uh, there's really no other place that I can think of that gives us that explanation of the seven spirits. And Isaiah 11, 2 and 3 gives us that sense of what the writer was sharing with us there. The church at Sardis was in great need there of uh, the Spirit of God, like every church is, let's be honest. Uh, it seems as if, uh, if if people were not complacent before COVID, it seems as if those 16, 18 months has really served to distract us in a large degree. So when we think of distractions, we don't have to look far, do we? You know, it could be something uh, that's right at our doorstep, so to speak. Jesus, the writer said, gave no indication that false doctrine was being taught in the church uh, or any indication that troublemakers were in the church. Uh, it seemed from the outside, uh, people looking in, possibly, that this was a problem-free group. Now, you, you always have heard, possibly, uh, if you find a perfect church, you know the old rule of that is don't join it because you'll mess it up, because none of us are perfect, okay? And you know, it's a piece of laughter, but it's true. Let's remind ourselves that every one of these churches we have, have studied up to this point, with the exception of one, there has been uh, some type of indictment or, or something that our Lord would bring to their attention. And now He, is, he says... Uh, that uh, you have an appearance of being alive, but you're dead. So, when we look at the term Sardis, or the church at Sardis, what we usually think of is that's a dead church. Well, he, he does give us a little bit of encouragement here. In a moment, though, uh, when he talks about you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead, he says, now be alert and strengthen what remains. In other words, cause yourself to be focused. See self from a, or see things from the proper perspective. He says, be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about uh, 
to die. Well, uh, we, we see there uh, they were known by people for what they could see outwardly. Uh, but now uh, we see that him challenging them uh, to strengthen those things lest they die as well. Why would Christ tell them they were dead? Think about that. Why would Jesus tell them that they were dead? And then the writer said, because he is able to look below the surface and know their works were ineffective. You know, uh, across the way, uh, around the pond over the last month, there's been a couple of large limbs fall. And you know, they look to be beautiful, little, healthy. And when I say little, I'm talking about limbs that were that wide. And uh, they looked to be perfectly healthy until they had fallen. And what you could see from the inside is there was a rot right in the middle of them. You know, you can't see that with the naked eye. And first of all, we don't need to be judging people anyway, but that's the way we are as people as well. It's easy to flower up our speech. It's easier. It's easy to focus on our outward appearance. But we know here what Jesus is reminding us about. He can see the inside and he sees that decay, he sees that complacency, that apathy. And as a result of that, uh, we need to pay attention to the inside of the platter as well. So, with all of those things, he said, Strengthen that which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Works do have something of importance to believers, does it not? And we, we know works does not save us from our sin. So therefore, if we're not careful, what we do is we sort of try to dissect that word out of our spiritual lives. And then when we carry it that far, we're way wrong. Because we're not saved by our works, but we are saved to good works. And that means that we should be known for doing deeds, doing things that are right. And as a result of that, uh, people can see our good works, Matthew 5, 20, and glorify our Father which is in heaven, the church at Sardis. Revelation 3, 3, uh, if you're following, on the bottom of page 48, remember. Now, I'd like to go back. I don't have my Bible open at the moment. But you remember, in every case, he has used that word remember, if I'm correctly, if I'm correct. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. Remember, repent, you remember those words from the previous letters? He said, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. Notice, he is asking or he is demanding. He is encouraging them there to, to think, think back, think around, etc. Remember the things they received from him, specifically the things that they had learned about him. In the second paragraph there in your notes, it talks about uh, the classic resource for new believers, the old survival kit, five keys to kingdom, or five keys to spiritual growth. And he said the first stage is excitement. Oh, we remember when we got saved, do we not? 
And, or it, quite, it could be the, a time when you rededicated your life to Jesus. You know, you might have got saved when you were real young, began to stray, uh, complacency, apathy. But to you, that time when you came back to the Lord, man, it all was exciting, uh, was it not? And these five keys come out of the survival kit, uh, five keys to spiritual growth, the first step ex- or stage excitement. And he also said many believers progress to the silent stage when their enthusiasm and love for Christ have diminished. You know, we, we don't just usually come up and tell people, you know, I lost it, or we come up and tell people, hey, I'm not where I used to be, although we know in our spirit. But he talks about the first stage excitement, then that silent stage in which we begin to uh, try to fake it, I call it, if we're not careful. Christ calling the church there at Sardis to look back and remember what it was like in the first stage of excitement and joy and not continue living in the silent stage. Man, can, can you relate to the silent stage? It's one of those things that happens in our lives. And when I say our, most all believers' lives, if we're not careful, we came into that silent stage, and as a result of that, uh, we, we are not energetically uh, leading and sharing with people concerning our faith, which then would incline them to be drawn by faith also. He says, remember, remember the things we first learned in Christ should compel us and stir our hearts to return and maintain the joy and fulfillment we once had in Christ. Now, when we think about losing uh, that uh, joy, losing that excitement, uh, it's, it's something easy to talk about. I find people of our age, now I'm not going to tell you how old we are, uh, all, at the best we're all still young to a degree, but why is it we like to talk about uh, the way it was we don't only like to talk about that the way it was at home or the way it was on the farm. You know, we also like to talk about the way it was in the church or the way it was in my life. And man, you know, we can, I call it embellish those moments. And before we know it, we've, we've tried to draw the conclusion that the church was more perfect in the past. P- quite possibly so, some would say. However... Uh, This word remember is for all of us when he says, remember the things we first learned in Christ, compel us, stir us to return and maintain that joy. The other R word, you remember? He said, remember and repent. I believe it's in every letter in Revelation 2 and 3 to the seven churches. Why would he want them to repent? Without repentance, one cannot experience the true joy and fulfillment that can come only through an active, personal, and growing relationship with Christ. Repentance involves a 180-degree change of direction. I was glad the writer put that in there, because we've talked about repentance every time, and we've illustrated from that uh, an about-face. You turn and you go in the other direction, but that 180 sort of helps us to see that a little clearer. Now, that's what repentance is. It means that I've been going this way. I'm turning around going the other way. 
And uh, I'm not going to look back and hold on to uh, those things that have robbed me of my joy uh, and work for the Lord. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost puts a wall up, does it not? It's a hard thing to work through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Hey, and what she's saying is so true. You know, it's hard at any point to lose someone close to us. But in the middle of COVID, when you can't walk over to see your friend or you can't drive down to, to have dinner with your so-and-so, hey, that's hard. I think the hardest work of the church is before us. And when I say the church, I'm not just talking about our, uh, where we worship. I'm talking about in every church we have we have somehow been robbed of that joy, that enthusiasm, that love, that sharing, that ministry. And man, some of you guys remember how we used to have to crank the old truck, you remember? Probably had a three-speed on the floor or either on the column and, you know, the battery get dead. We didn't go get a battery charger. We got three or four behind it to push it and we popped the clutch and we crank it up. But you know, cranking up the church isn't so easy. Uh, the Lord Jesus sees them outwardly as others would say, oh man, they got it made over there. But the reality is inside of us, we, we, we robbed. We're robbed of the things you described there. Good, thank you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Hey, we need to we need to share some phone numbers or share some lunch times because I I really believe we're in a a tough place in the life of the church and the marginal people is the one who have suffered the greatest because they may not come back. But we've got that. We got to be Jesus to them. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. I commend you for that. The church, as we're looking at this letter, remember uh, what what the the writer brings out to us there, and the Lord is talking uh, to the church at Sardis about is their complacency. In other words, just accepting that status quo, just not expecting anything to be different. We're just, we're just making, making ripples in the water, so to speak. And as a result of that, he says, remember. Then he says, repent. Uh, in the last, uh, well, the last few sentences there on page 50 by that uh, U-turn sign says, Jesus was not referring to his second coming in verse 3. Jesus' words carried a great threat. Unless they repented, Jesus would visit their church for the purpose of discipline and chastisement. 
And uh, that helps us to understand uh, where he says, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I'll come. We have somehow always taken that passage, I'll come as a thief in the night, and thinking of the last judgment or the second coming. And here he's using that a little differently because he at any moment could bring the church uh, to a place there of judgment, could he not? And uh, that's a tough place. We don't want to get there. But he says here in Revelation 3, verse 4, 5, and 6, But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, uh, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, beautiful passage. Uh, we, we probably won't do it all the justice that it deserves, but uh, he talks about a, I want to call them a remnant, okay? He said there's a few people in Sardis uh, who have not uh, uh, backslidden. There's a few, pe- few people in Sardis uh, who are strong in the Lord and the power of His might. There are a few people in Sardis who says, he says, who have not defiled their clothes. They'll walk with me in white because they're worthy. Now, uh, on page uh, 51, he, he takes and he gives these three phrases uh, some emphasis, okay? He talked about the, the dressed in white. And the writer uh, said during the reign of the king in Sardis, no temple worshiper was allowed to approach the temple of the gods with unclean garments. Worshippers were required to wear clean white robes to approach their gods. Now, the emphasis there of their gods is where the plurality of gods come in. And what we need to remember is sometimes those people who are religious, you know, they go through those rituals And as a result of that, uh, they going through those rituals in these places like Sardis. And now the Lord is using terminology that they can understand because they can relate to that uh, environment that they're in. Now, Christ said those few would walk with me in white. White is the symbol of purity, uh, and the faithful were seen as worthy to wear white. In Christ, we are made pure through the blood of Christ. In Christ, we have, made, have been made worthy to walk with Him. He doesn't deal with that here, but if you read, I think it's Revelation chapter 19, uh, there's reference to when Christ comes back uh, with His saints. You remember He comes riding the, the horse, and He talks about the army or the multitude that are with him in their white garments. We can see, we can see uh, spiritual truth all over that phrase, that, can we not? But, now when we come to the Lord's house, we don't all have to put on white outer garments, but I think he could be making a reference to our, our inner garment as well, our, our condition spiritually, okay? 
and, and just, just those few thoughts there of uh, how religious groups have those rituals. Uh, if, if you could just look it up on your phone or if you've never or can't call it back to mind, you know, the, uh, in Jerusalem there on the uh, highest point, there's the Dome of the Rock and then there's the Muslim uh, temple tabernacle, whatever they want to call it. Gentiles can go into that, that uh, Muslim prayer center, but you've got to take your shoes off, you've got to go to their fountain, you've got to wash, etc. And, and I'm saying all that to just try to remind you that there's various ritualistic experiences that hinder uh, spiritual lives greatly. And he also talks about the book, okay? Uh, Jesus promised the righteous saints in Sardis that their names would appear in the Lamb's book of life. He said, I'll never erase his name from the book of life. Uh, this is read to be as a promise, not a threat. You know, the book, and, and you may you can agree and we can disagree, but you know, there are some that uh, take the book of life as everybody's name is in it, uh, at birth. Uh, and then when they become unbelievers, their name, can be, uh, their name can be written out of the book. Now there's a second view of the book, which uh, comes that when we uh, surrender to Christ, then our names are written into the Lamb's book of life. Uh, and as a result of what we learn in Ephesians 1, that also that uh, name is sealed until the Holy Spirit of promise. And uh, the seal there is signifying that uh, it can't be erased out of there. And again, you, you've got a, an opinion about that, but opinions are cheap, I call it. You've you got to come to a place to where you're comfortable. Uh, we know there is a Lamb's Book of Life, Amen. And we know the people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life are the people uh, that, that are going to spend an eternity with the Lord in the place called heaven. So make sure your name is there. Uh, and uh, the reality is I think uh, the names that are there are sealed until that eternal day of uh, the Lord's return. Also in this, uh, it talks about... Uh, we, we've looked at the white garments uh, in the white clothes. And we've looked at the book of life. Uh, but he said, uh, in the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father, before his angels, and let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Pay attention, he says. Uh, this anyone that has ears to hear, we've saw that phrase uh, before again already have we not in them other letters. So therefore, uh, we need to pay close attention uh, to who we are, where we are, and what our Master uh, is saying through all of uh, these things. One sentence I underline here, We must choose to live in such a way that our reputation and works are a solid reflection of our life in Christ. Now, let's be honest. It is hard to stay focused, is it not? I hope it's not harder than ever, but the, the reality is just there. 
uh, that if we're not careful, we can lose that focus. And once the focus is lost, if we're not careful, we become complacent. Uh, you remember what uh, Paul said would be one of the signs of the last days? He wrote it there to Timothy. He said there, uh, let, let me try to get my mind uh, right here. He said there would be a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So we can also see the problematic things in the life of these churches as well, can we not? That they, many, can, uh, they were once somewhere in the center of His will, and then uh, that group began to, began to fall away. And in the case of the Sardis church, they, they were a few that had not uh, went away. And he commends them in that way. Any other thought there? Anyone? Yes. Amen. Angels, uh, I think it is Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, and the book of Hebrews is telling us about the superiority of Christ. And one of the areas that, or one of the things brought to light there is angels. It talks about them being created as ministering spirits is what they're called there. And yes, they are created beings. Uh, and, and yes, they are as you use the word helpers, we would, I think the, I think maybe in the, in the Hebrew letter, it calls them messengers. But yes, this, this is those that we can't see in the spirit world. And, uh, amen. That was a terrible, that was a terrible tragedy going on down there. Yes, terrible tragedy. And y'all, y'all know we're talking about down in Miami and Surfside, I believe it is, one of the perimeter areas there. It's terrible. Uh, and we need to be much prayerful for, for that group of people, for sure. You know, one of the things I'm going to close with this thought, Debbie and I had taken two of the grandkids camping two, day, two or three days, and, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I didn't see anybody there I knew. But my thought with all of that is this. It, is, it would surprise us greatly how people let their guard down when, when we get out amongst people that we have never seen. And we, if we're not careful, we can get the idea that nobody's going to see us, nobody's going to report us. But hey, we need to be right with the Lord all times, everywhere. And uh, because I, I think our complacency that he's telling us to guard against, our complacency is one of the uh, areas that would cause us to let that guard down. But we need to be lights everywhere we go and through all seasons of our life. Okay, thank you. We'll follow up uh, next week right here at the same, uh, not the same letter, but the next letter. Uh, And then he's talking about being faithful in all things. Chapter 3, verse 7. We'll start there, okay? Thank you. God bless you. Get you some water. Uh, Appreciate seeing you today.